All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It is 4.08. So glad to have you with us here on Drive Time with DeRussia the day before the storm. Are we going to be stupid tonight and go, like, buy your bottled water and all the... Don't go to Costco tonight. It's going to be an absolute train wreck of amateur hour. Just stay home tomorrow. It's going to be fine. Should I come to work tomorrow, Dan Cook? Or should I... You better come to work tomorrow. Why? Why? Because I don't want to be here by myself. (laughs) I, I have to be concerned about your needs. When did I mean, this you could. Start? When did this not start? unheard of? It's not my core competency. <laughs> we'll see how it is tomorrow. You know, so these things always, I don't know. I think we've all been burned by one too many snow forecasts that turns out to be nothing. That I'm not, I'm not on freak out mode yet. I'll let you know when it's time to be on official freak out mode. But I think it's going to be fine. I can tell you the restaurant owners in Minneapolis and St. Paul certainly hope that you don't freak out and you come out to those reservations and come out to eat over the next couple of days uh, for sure as the weather turns a little colder. 409, it is Thursday. It is time for Derusha Eats. And Derusha Eats is brought to you by the Minnesota Pork Board and by Liquor Boy. Our guest today own a couple of wonderful taco restaurants here in the Twin Cities. They're in expansion mode, uh, and seeing their success makes me extremely happy because they're incredibly nice people. And the food is really a love story to Chef Alejandro Victoria's uh, native uh, Mexico. And Alex Victoria is with us today, uh, along with his wife, Jenna. Uh, both of them who run Nico's, and they brought along their uh, director of agave, which is a very fancy way to say the guy in charge of the tequila, Chris Thompson. Thank you guys all for coming in today. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Uh, Jenna, who's more nervous uh, about doing a radio interview, you or Alex? Oh, my goodness. Uh, it's me, actually. It's Chris. <laughs> it's always the bartender. The I talk to people all the time, and now i got to talk to a bunch of people at once. Yeah, and the silence is deafening, right? <laughs> <laughs> Je- Jenna was born an entertainer. Oh, my god. So gosh. it's really not her because she's danced all her life. And she actually was a Timberwolf dancer. Uh, for some you time, were she was. You, uh, I, many, many years. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, it's funny. Alejandro, Alex here will will claim to be an introvert at times, but I I don't understand that because he definitely loves to talk. And and I don't know what you think, Derusha, but I, in your meetings with him, he's you know quite chatty. So we I did, always, we it did a, surprises me when he says that. We did a well. Sometimes people who like to talk about what they're passionate about would prefer to not talk about anything else. You know, it would be introverted in other ways. Well, the, the reason I enjoy the restaurant business is because with the tequila, I open up. You know, and <laughs> at home with like just water, it's not that easy. 
<laughs> I want you guys to tell your your story and how Nico's Tacos came to be. But before that, I I, I just have to ask you about the incredible success of the absolutely crazily Christmas decorated uh, experience that you guys put on in December. You ended up right smack in the middle of a bit of a frenzy this this winter in people wanting to go out and just be in a place where Christmas had sort of thrown up all over the place. And your location in Uptown was just perfect for that. Who Whose idea was this? Well, you know, last year, um, our nephew Sid, who's a business partner, uh, mentioned that he, he likes uh, that kind of uh, upbeat uh, business, you know, and he's, he's seen stuff like that before. But he mentioned it a little bit late in the year. So this year he brought it up again early enough. And, you know, we liked the idea last year. And, of course, when he reminded us this year, uh, we were all for it. You know, we're like, let's do it. And if we're going to do it, we're going to go all the way. Your uh, restaurant on uh, Lindale. Uh, or on Hennepin, I'm <laughs> sorry. Okay. I moved it. You're yeah. on Hennepin. <laughs> uh, your restaurant on Hennepin is a house. It's an old house. And so when I was there, we went with my whole family uh, at, right after Christmas. Mm-hmm. And they were looking at all this decoration saying, my goodness, who's going to take all this down? Like it was such – there's so much stuff. Is it? Is it down? It is down as of yesterday. So, and it actually came down quite fast compared to going, going up. up. So, it was not nearly the task we thought it was. So, that was. Nice, but it took but the the whole army yeah. to take it down. It was crazy to did do. Did you buy all this stuff or did you find it? Did you have it in people's houses? or you, Because you had lights <laughs> and wrapping and garland and everything all over the place. Both. So we literally – so our other nephew, Andres, like kind of put out the word, hey, guys, like bring what you got. This is the plan, you know. So we did have a few people bring some things. Um, my sister and Alex's brother, um, who are married, ironically. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> yes, they live in Rochester. And they had all these – Is that um, legal? I think it's legal. <laughs> In Rochester, People, it's legal for sure. Oh, yeah. right. Just, yeah. No, maybe not here. How funny. Um, did did yeah. they meet because of you two? They met first. They're older. I, they I introduced so. her sister to my brother, and then he paid me the favor. Or she she paid her <laughs> sister. Oh, my God. My sister-in-law paid me the favor back. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Many years later. But, um, yeah. So they own restaurants in Rochester, and they had all of these, like, fabulous decorations because they really kind of do their restaurants up. And they're like, we've got all this stuff that we're not using anymore. Sent it up with Andres. And so we had all of that, which really helped. And then I would say a couple trips to just cool places around the cities that we could find some stuff. A lot of it came from my house and other houses of, you know, owners and managers. Uh, And we just went crazy. When when the whole crew was done putting what we started with up, Jenna didn't stop for 10 days. Yeah. All day. Yeah. <laughs> Putting yeah. more up. I was more perfected. and more and more. Yeah. I, I, I literally couldn't stop. Why, why, do you, so. why do you think people responded so much to it? Your business must have gone up tremendously because of it. It was, uh, it was, yeah, it was a great, uh, great pop-up. Uh, it, it blew us away, I think. Um, 
we didn't expect. I don't think. I don't think that. any of us expected what happened. Yeah, and so it, it, it was phenomenal. It, it's hard because you know it's quirky space. You know the space. Yeah. Our kitchen is small. It's hard to do things there. It's hard to to work there. It's hard to to not have a patio and do those kind of numbers. Um, but it was phenomenal. It brought a lot of people there that had never been there and had and were from suburbs. And oh my gosh. I, this place is great. I, I can't believe we've never been here. You know, we we don't come to Minneapolis much or, sure. you know. Giving so, people a reason to come to Minneapolis and to come yeah. uh, specifically to Uptown with you and Red Cow both doing that right next to each other. Yes. I just think it was tremendous to remind people, like, it's fun. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fun. And I think that that helped us kind of having – as soon as we found out they were doing it too, it was like, okay, like this is actually a really good thing because people – you know, it'll bring people. They to They would the go to Red Cow, and they would then come to us after they fit, they would or come vice in and say, versa. Yeah, we were just like... at Red Cow. <laughs> Can we get a table? It's like, well, you were just at Red Cow. And they're like, yeah, but we need some more. We need some more. Yeah, that's pretty fun. So. Uh, that is Alex Victoria, Jenna Victoria, uh, from Nico's Tacos. You guys have uh, a location in St. Paul, and the location on Hennepin. But mm-hmm. you're in growth mode. There's another one coming, right? There is. Uh, We are opening on 50th and Penn in uh, southwest Minneapolis, so technically the Fulton neighborhood close to Linden Hills, Lyndhurst. Alex, how do you describe kind of, you know, people in Minnesota have a mental image maybe of what Mexican food is. How do you describe what makes your food uh, maybe different? Uh, Well, you know, when we got into the Mexican food or the industry of Mexican restaurants, the... My, or, or my motivation was heritage. So when I go to Mexican restaurants, um, even sometimes owned by, by, by Mexican people, I didn't see the heritage. A lot of times they try to cater to the American menu and or to the American people. And I thought, okay, well, it's supposed to be a Mexican restaurant. And I'm not seeing uh, the stuff that I see at home when I come see my mom. And so the more... That I, that I saw that, the more it motivated me to bring the real authenticity. And again, it's just, it's heritage. It starts uh, with the tortilla. The way you treat the tortilla is different from, I mean, there's n- nothing wrong with the uh, regular tortilla that you get at other places. But I do think there's something special about the way you guys make tortillas. Yeah, so uh, most most everything that we do is... Um, ancestral, so like all of our, you know, salsas are are on a comal, and we what we do a technique called tatemar, which you take you know the tomatoes and the peppers and you put them on the hot uh, cast iron skillet and and in the past before that it was clay, but the same thing with um, the tortillas. So originally before the corn was dried and processed in in a, a wet a dry grind. It used to be soaked in limestone, and that would break down the corn. And the grind in the volcanic rocks was a wet grind. And so when you were done grinding, you had the masa immediately so that you could make the tortillas. And that's what we we went back to, our heritage. And it's what my mom used to do. It's what my grandma always did. And if you went back to our ranch in the morning, that was breakfast. It was a tortilla. Uh, from a wet grind and a little bit of salt. And if you were lucky, you got some of the cream from the top of the milk uh, to finish your breakfast. Mm-hmm. 
<clears throat> it's so good. I think once people visit your place, like they'll get it. It tastes tastes so good, and the the connection to uh, your family and uh, your well, your your mom's in Mexico. Did you grow up in Mexico or here? Uh, back and forth. So I um, I grew up. My schooling was in Los Angeles, mm. uh, downtown Los Angeles. But every time I had school break, my mom didn't want me to get involved in the gangs in uh, the downtown South Central area. So I was shipped uh, to Mexico till I was about 10 years old. I started getting shipped to Wisconsin where I had a brother who had just opened a restaurant. Uh, then I was shipped there, and I, that's where I learned kitchen techniques. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, Alejandro and Jenna Victoria are here. Uh, we also are going to talk about the importance of agave and tequila and margaritas and how that all fits in. We'll do that with Chris in just a minute uh, after this break. Russia Eats, Nico's Tacos is the focus today here on Drive Time with Russia. Just talking with the owners of Nico's about the last time uh, I was in there with my in-laws and we brought the whole family there uh, and how nice the service was, which, you know, we know how hard it's, it is to find uh, people who are, you know, it's hard to find labor, right? And so for you guys like that... I. I presume that's a challenge as you get ready to open restaurant number three in the South Minneapolis area, right, Jenna? No, absolutely. It's uh, we've been. I feel like we're at a really good spot right now, a really sweet spot with our staff. We have some phenomenal staff at both our locations, and I know you were just at our Uptown location, but they rally. They it's a team effort. Everybody's got each other's back, and it's just been really great. Um, so we are definitely. You know, trying to have that same feel at our new location, and we are bringing on some of the uh, some of the old Tinto staff. You know, um, whoever kind of wanted to stay on and could kind of see us through the transition. Um, so there are some that are training right oh, now at cool. Como, and they've been nice. they've been great so far. And um, obviously, we'll be bringing in maybe some of our staff from our other locations and doing a little bit of hiring. Yeah. When when do you think you'll have that restaurant open? We are hoping by February first. Yeah. So got to get that. Va- <laughs> got to get that Valentine's Day action. You better be open by them, right? Definitely. The yeah. Opening date. It seems to be a moving target, right? Now. That's how that yeah. goes, right? Well, Restaurant, and we're used to construction, that, right? and whatever. Yeah. Uh, that's Jenna and Alejandro, Alex, Victoria, the owners of Nico's. Chris Christopher Thompson is the director of Agave for Nico's. Chris, Nico's has such a reputation for the best margaritas in town. Award-winning, even. Award-winning. I've been a part of a couple of those awards <laughs> over the years. You guys... Thank you, uh, um, <laughs> You know, tequila and all agaves have really had, uh, on the coast, they've been the number one spirits. Uh, and here in Minnesota, are you seeing it? Like, people are much more interested mm. in those? The interest is absolutely skyrocketing, which is super exciting because we've always been a place that has some really exciting products and exciting spirits and agave-based cocktails that we always thought were interesting. But it was an intimidating category for people. It's like trying to tell somebody to drink a glass of scotch for the first time. They might (coughs) struggle just a little bit just because it's it's new and it's different for them. Um, But the the interest is there, and we're we're excited to – to keep growing with that. With the new location, you'll have a little more, maybe a little more room down by Tinto's. The Como spot has a real nice bar, and you have a nice bar uh, in Uptown as well. It's just the layout's a little different. 
But do you have big plans for for uh, for that spot? Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm meeting with people every day who um who are my people down south of the border trying to find the the good stuff. And, it's uh, tough as it back it's tough as a consumer, right? Because these celebrity tequilas have sort of taken over the category uh, when you go to the liquor store, for example. So so I, I'm excited to have a place where you could talk to somebody who really knows. I, some of the celebrity tequilas are are good. They're and they're fine, are, but you're you're paying for George Clooney's name on your bottle yeah. is the problem. Whereas I I have some really dedicated people and distributors who go down to Mexico and find really exciting things. Um, that don't have to carry Dwayne Johnson's name. Right. We're happy for The Rock, but he doesn't need our money. <laughs> Not anymore. Right. He's fine. He's fine. Alex, when you uh, look ahead to this coming year, like what's, what, what would your ask be of our audience when it comes to like coming out, coming out to restaurants, especially in the cities? Um, to pay, paying attention, I would say to like or, truth and or, originality, making sure they're getting – what they're expecting, you know, if you if you go to an Irish pub, you know, you expect some Irish eats, and so that's you know that I what I ask is that everybody just make sure they're getting what they're expecting. Yeah, come on, you guys never go to Taco Bell and get a <laughs> once a <Never>. year. <laughs> we gotta have a Taco Bell party. Come on, in the car on the way to Green Bay, Wisconsin. <laughs> I mean, and you know, our our kids get uh, they do get. Sick, so not sick, I should say, but they do get tired of you know sometimes the same, yeah. you know tacos we cook at home, uh, same at Nico's Tacos, and then it's like, can we get Chipotle? Like, can we just you know, it's yeah. like this, like just just so I can have some you know different flair to my. But tacos. you know, Taco Bell does not claim to be the number one taco place yeah. in the nation yeah. or anything right. like that. Right. You know? Yeah, they don't claim to be authentic. <laughs> no, so right, right. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. You guys, this was so great. I hope people will come visit you at uh, all of your locations. Uh, there's Minneapolis uh, open right now at like 25th and Hennepin. Mm-hmm. And then yep. St. Paul uh, right over there on Como Avenue, right kind of on your way if you're driving the State Fair yeah. off the of 280 right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and soon coming to South Minneapolis. Thank you guys so much. This was terrific. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks Uh, for having us. Congresswoman Angie Craig is going to have to follow you up, a U.S. congressperson. (laughs) So she's next right here on Drive Time with Teresha. We all know baseball is a long season. I'm Brett Boone from the Brett Boone Podcast. This summer, take a trip down memory lane with me and hear from the legends of the game. So far this year, I've had conversations with Randy Johnson, Pete Rose, Deion Sanders. Plus, every week we look at the state of Major League Baseball, which teams are exceeding expectations, which ones are struggling to meet them. Follow and listen to the Brett Boone Podcast on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 436 on Drive Time with DeRussia. So much national political news happening today. The impeachment inquiry into President Biden uh, slowly moving along. Hunter Biden in court in California, the Iowa caucuses. With all of that going on, there are U.S. congressional races here in Minnesota. Uh, And there is work still happening. Uh, although I'm, I wonder how much with all the politics come, going on in Washington, D.C. Uh, Congressman Angie Craig joins us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline here to talk uh, a little bit about her work when it comes to the Postal Service and then some other topics as well. Congresswoman, thanks for being with us. 
Hey, I'm glad to be here, but when do I get to be on the segment about tequila? That right. seems a lot more fun. <laughs> they did leave me a <laughs> bottle of tequila. I know you're not allowed oh. to accept gifts, but, you know, next time you come to town, I'll hook you up for sure. Sure. Uh, all right. Thank you, Jason. It's great to be back with you. Uh, I, the reason I reached out to you is, is this ongoing issue with the Postal Service and uh, some of the issues that that we've had in your district and throughout the state as it relates to uh, overwork, Amazon packages. Tell me kind of where are things at with that right now? Well, I've been pushing for accountability from the Postal Service for the past year, and um, you know, I'm where, where is it now? I've asked uh, for a call with Postmaster General DeJoy. We've been um, the third worst performing region in the nation over the last several quarters, uh, according to an independent analysis. So, look, uh, I, I think our my constituents deserve better delivery. If the post office says we should be getting our mail every day and my constituents tell me it's every three days, every five days, every uh, 10 days, then there's certainly a disconnect. So right now, the uh, OIG uh, inspector general is investigating a few offices uh, right here in Minnesota. And uh, the inspector general's audits uh, from Egan and Apple Valley and the Egan Distribution Center, we expect to be back soon and we'll be following those closely. Uh, you know, I, I, on a personal level, sometimes wonder if in this digital age and the age of delivery and Amazon, do we still need uh, mail delivery to be coming six days a week? Do you think it's time to maybe go down to five or four days a week? Well, Jason, right now there's so much volume coming in through USPS that even six days a week, they aren't able to get the job done. When you think about uh, the fact that the postal service now essentially delivers the last mile for Amazon packages, uh, those trucks are packed full of Amazon packages. And that's one of the reasons why, um, and other retail outlets, of course, uh, but that's one of the reasons why our letter carriers uh, can't get our mail delivered every day is we found many instances where they're being asked to stop their route in order to make sure they deliver the packages uh, on time. Yeah. You know, the packages are more profitable. And I think that, you know, we can have a really good, robust debate about how many days a week and how many hours a day should postal workers work and whether we should be delivering Amazon packages and that sort of thing. But uh, those are discussions that we should have as a country and community. But as long as USPS still says yeah. we should be getting our mail every day, yeah. then that's yeah. the standard that we want to hold them to. Isn't this partially Congress's fault for the way that they have sort of set up the requirements for the Postal Service to be, you know, making enough money so they pre-fund the pension and all of this. And so isn't it utterly predictable that decisions are going to be made to try to make profit and make money instead of providing kind of the service you might expect of a utility, right? Like of a Yeah, I mean, it's, it's set up in the Constitution essentially as a utility. Uh, it's a service that we pay good taxpayer dollars to receive. And, you know, you think about the digital age, the volume of mail service hasn't gone down even with the digital age uh, coming forward. Because you think about, you know, all your insurance companies pushing prescriptions to mail these days. Uh, you think about, uh, you know, the uh, 
uh, number of our nation's veterans who are relying on uh, prescription drugs through the mail. Uh, you know, it's uh, there's really important activity still going in uh, into the USPS system, and we have to make sure we have a system that we can rely on. But you're right, it really is a strategy that has been put in place by the current Postmaster General uh, that he's going to try to make USPS sort of like FedEx and UPS, and they're going to compete with them, and it's going to be his swan song as he leaves public service that he made USPS profitable. Well, okay, if, if that's what we want as a country, but I don't know about you, but my tax dollars are coming to the federal government to pay for the United States Postal Service, and so I expect my mail to be delivered the number of days a week that uh, they tell me it should. Congressman Angie Craig with it. How is Louis DeJoy still the Postmaster General? I mean, he... <laughs> yeah, it, it's a it's a it's a real good question uh, and one that I keep asking the Biden administration as we dig deeper and deeper into the woes at the Postal Service. I mean, he was he was a Donald Trump appointee. He is the first Postmaster General in 20 years who had no Postal Service experience, but. Either way, like he's got to be one of the only leftovers from the prior administration. It just it, it puzzles me considering all of the, all of the issues we've had with the Postal Service. And, and hey, Jason, look, if, if he were doing a great job um, and service levels in our region were great, I would be the first one on a completely nonpartisan basis to say excellent work, Mr. DeJoy. But that isn't what's happening. And it's not just that that's not what's happening. It's that they seem to have their head in the sand. They keep telling us things like, oh, Congresswoman, we're preparing for another successful holiday season. That doesn't track with what I heard from Minnesotans the previous holiday season. And it certainly doesn't track with the service uh, level data that we're getting, that we're analyzing, that we're making publicly so that we force them to take a good look and make change here and try to get us our mail on time. That's all we're asking for. Congresswoman Angie Craig is with uh, the second district of Minnesota. I will ask you uh, about uh, some of the opposition that is lining up, some of the uh, Republicans who are running in the primary for the chance to run against you in a second. But before we do that, I, I I was reading about this uh, kid proof act that you introduced with a Republican uh, congressman from Texas uh, that I hadn't heard a bunch of publicity about. So I was sort of uh, curious to hear more from you about it. But this is uh, this is a bill that would expand access to safety supplies for parents of kids who might be at risk of overdose or suicide. And with all we're hearing about fentanyl and overdose and, and certainly the explosion in suicide rates, uh, this seems like something that should get a little more attention. I really think it should, and thank you for highlighting it. Yeah, so uh, Tony Gonzalez of Texas and I, we uh, sat down and we looked at this data of, you know, 95% of individuals considering suicide do not go on to die by suicide when the lethal means are effectively Stored. And so this bill in particular would uh, expand access to those lethal means safety supplies, like simple things like lock boxes and safes for parents of children at risk of overdose or suicide. And so this bill would expand these supplies to healthcare providers because, of course, uh, if a mental health expert or a family physician or pediatrician, if you're identifying um, this uh, chance of your uh, kid uh, completing suicide, 
getting those uh, prescription drugs into safe storage, getting those guns into safe storage is one of the most effective ways to prevent that suicide. And so, look, these are really simple things, but uh, if you take your young um, uh, daughter or son to a doctor and uh, you have suicidal ideation and it's around overdosing or uh, taking prescription drugs, just store that stuff safely. Uh, studies have shown it makes a real difference. And I'm really proud to work with Tony. And as, you know, as how as does that come together? Washington, how, how do you, I mean, we, yeah, right. I was going to say, as batty as Washington is on a daily basis and you can't turn on a hearing without hearing people scream at each other. I, you know, I want your listeners to know there are quite a few of us here uh, sitting in a room together trying to figure out how the hell we solve real problems in our country. And I know that uh, we aren't the ones to get the attention, um, but we're here and we're, we're trying. Uh, speaking of real problems in the country, one of our texters just asked for your thoughts on uh, the crisis at the border. It, it has been one of the areas of public policy in this country where we've been talking about doing something about immigration for 30 or 40 years, and we really haven't done much to change legal pathways to get into this country. And now we have this, where where it's it's uh, it's been horrible down there. Republicans have made a lot of noise on what they want to do about it. Uh, what do you think should be done to uh, secure the border? Well, Jason, I was one of three Democrats uh, last February to go down to the border um, with 20-something Republicans. So this has been an area where I've been saying um, for a long time there is a crisis at the U.S. border. Um, I would like to see some sort of uh, bipartisan agreement uh, here is. We move forward on border security. Uh, I've called for additional funding for, um, you know, uh, sonar, radar, uh, making sure there may be some places where we do need to secure the border with some sort of uh, uh, protection. Like, uh, you know, I know some people will call it a wall. Uh, some call it fencing. But there may be areas where we need to have um, people trying to come across driven. And at the end of the day, look, you know, as long as it takes months and years to come across legally, people are going to try to find a way to come across illegally. And I think the message got to be, if you want to come into this country, if you want to claim asylum, you've got to come through uh, the legal means to get to this country. If you come across our country illegally, um, we're not even going to consider your claim. So it's a tough issue. Uh, It's a politically divisive issue. I get it. Um, But at the end of the day, uh, we've got to sit down and be willing to have these hard conversations about the border. What we're seeing right now is untenable. Congresswoman Angie Craig with us here on CCO. I know that yesterday the new House speaker uh, talked with President Biden about border security. Obviously, you know, because of the presidential campaign going on, because we're in a campaign cycle, I think some of us. Here in Minnesota, wonder, you know, is anything really going to get done in Washington, D.C. over the next couple of months? Well, we have to. I mean, uh, we can't keep I mean, the main job of Congress is to pass a budget, to pass 12 appropriations bills. And so, you know, we've got a couple of deadlines coming up on February 19th. Uh, and then in uh, March, when we had this this battered uh, continuing resolution to kick the can down the road. And so 
Look, Speaker Johnson's got a choice here. I don't think in a million years they're going to get the budget done uh, by next Friday. But, you know, they they have had us in Washington this week, all week, and we have not had a single uh, budget uh, bill in front of us because the Republican conference, their caucus can't agree on what even to bring to the House floor. So, you know, we, uh, we've got moderate Republicans fighting with Freedom Caucus members on their side. And frankly, I'm rooting for moderate Republicans to bring common sense budgets to, uh, to us here in the House. And I'll work with any one of them that can get a budget bill to us that, uh, you know, doesn't have a lot of culture war issues attached to it. And uh, I think, you know, Speaker Johnson agreed a top line with uh, Chuck Schumer, and hopefully uh, he'll stick to his word. Again, there's a lot of rebelling going on in Washington this week on procedural votes by Freedom Caucus members. And uh, if Speaker Johnson wants to get anything done, he's going to need Democrats to help him do it. And I hope he realizes that. Last question. And you have a, a campaign that you're in the middle of. Three Republicans so far have stepped up and said uh, they want to run to try to get the chance to face you. Uh, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar uh, reported today that she raised more than one point six million dollars for her campaign. Um, Your your seat has been one of the most fought over competitive seats in the country. Do you expect it to be the same? How much money do you think it's going to take for you to keep your seat? Well, for the sake of your listeners, uh, I hope. $32.5 million is not spent in my house race again this cycle, just as it was in 2022, because they'll have to put up with a lot of nonsense. But of course, I mean, the second district is the most evenly divided political district in the country currently represented by a Democrat. So, uh, Jason, I get up every day and I just try to do my work, uh, not embarrass constituents in my community like uh, some members of Congress do and and really try to make life better for working families across my district. I'll let my record speak for itself as we cap, you know, insulin at $35 a month for America's seniors and other issues that I've worked on directly. And at the end of the day, I expect a tough election every two years. That's just the way it goes in uh, swing districts across this country. And frankly, if more of our districts were this evenly divided and members of Congress had to listen to both sides and then make a judgment, our country would be better off. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. Angie Craig, thank you so much. We appreciate it. 452, back in a minute on CCO. Lots of good stuff to check out on the podcast. And tomorrow, tomorrow we'll drop a new episode of DeRussia Eats also. So we have two podcasts, if you're a podcast fan. Drive Time with DeRussia, where we upload every segment, including if you want to listen back to Congresswoman Angie Craig or... Our interview with uh, Jenna and Alex Victoria from Nico's Tacos. Uh, Lots of good stuff there. So do it. Subscribe to that. Or if you just want the food stuff to Russia Eats, you can subscribe to that. Uh, Susie Jones coming up. Oh, what, what more do you need than Susie Jones? Plus a live report from the CES, the Consumer Electronics Showcase, coming up at 530 on CCO.
We all know baseball is a long season. I'm Brett Boone from the Brett Boone Podcast. This summer, take a trip down memory lane with me and hear from the legends of the game. So far this year, I've had conversations with Randy Johnson, Pete Rose, Deion Sanders. Plus, every week we look at the state of Major League Baseball, which teams are exceeding expectations, which ones are struggling to meet them. Follow and listen to the Brett Boone Podcast on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 